Welcome to episode six of the Monster Podcast. Uh, we are coming to you uh, remotely, Jay and I, today during the first recording of the podcast in the midst of the COVID-19 quarantine, the great COVID-19 quarantine of 2020. Uh, we've been housebound a couple weeks now and have found a lot of, at least I can say I found a lot of comfort and solidarity in the collecting solidarity in the collecting community. What about you, Jay? Yes, definitely. First of all, hello to all of our listeners. We have uh, heard your requests for additional episodes, and um, we are proud to say that it only took a global pandemic to get us back together and recording. <laughs> um, but, you know, in, in positive terms, I think that a lot of people who are in this hobby are more than just buyers and sellers. It really is a community of like-minded, crazy people. And there have been a lot of really, really nice instances of random acts of kindness, whether it be financial, cardboard, or, or skills service-related, where people are just able to help each other during this really trying time. Yeah, so I've seen examples of folks in the hobby offering you know, people with expertise offering financial advice, uh, offering financial assistance to people who might need it, um, warning people against taking advantage of others in the hobby during a time when people might enter an, a, a, a period of desperation. Um, so I, I've been, you know, there's a lot of terrible things happening in the world, but I've been very encouraged by the response of folks in our uh, little corner of the world and how supportive they've been of one another. Yeah, I mean, people giving away low-pop PSA 10 squares of toilet paper, really, <laughs> for first-rate people. Um, but it, it is really, really nice to see people in the hobby band together. Just, you know, this has impacted so many people in so many different ways. And we all are here because of our shared love for old cards, specifically T206s or whatever else tickles your fancy. But it's really great to have a little bit of an outlet when um, the news sucks. Yeah. And for the time being, the internet works fine and the post office is operating. And as long as that's going on, uh, people can continue collecting, finding a little you know, reprieve during their quarantine, a little escape, talking to people about cards, waiting for the mail. I mean, the, the mail days I've had have been some of the most exciting that I can remember uh, in the last few weeks. <laughs> mail, mail rocks generally, but I'm yeah. going right to say right now, mail is, uh, is a welcome distraction. So yes, definitely agree with that. Yeah. So we thought for this episode, you know, we were, obviously we've been away a long time from the podcast that we about that um, but we wanted to revisit it at a time here when people could really use it we were getting requests from folks and we thought the best way to do it was simply crowdsourcing what do people want to hear about and topics that we heard from more than one person about so we kind of picked the ones that were of interest to most people were a little history of some of the short print cards in the set and we'll, so we'll talk about some of the more well-known ones but also some of the more uh obscure short prints that people might know less about. How's that sound to you, Jay? I like it. Let's jump in. All right. So I think we'll start with, you know, we're going to tar start talking about short prints. And obviously, you can't talk about short prints in the T206 set without talking about uh, the big four. So I thought we'd talk about the big four pretty quickly. What makes those special? Uh, move on to O'Hara and Demet, and then we can talk about the rest. Uh, so the big four, obviously, the... One everyone knows about whether they collect or not is the T206 Honus Wagner. 
clearly one of the best players of his day, possibly one of the best players in the history of the game. Uh, and there's a lot of theories why the Honus Wagner card is as rare as it is. There's only about 35 PSA graded specimens of that card as of today. Um, some people say he didn't want to pr promote tobacco or he wasn't appropriately compensated for his, the use of his likeness. But at the same time, Honus Wagner chewed tobacco. Uh, he didn't like cigarettes uh, and he was uh, featured in advertisements for other tobacco products, including cigars uh, in the time leading up to 1909. Um, so the theory that he didn't want to promote tobacco is pretty much debunked, maybe specifically cigarettes, or maybe it was a compensation issue. Um, but the idea that he didn't want to promote tobacco at all because of the well-being of people's health or children, I don't think that's that holds water anymore. Jay, what have you heard on this? I, I, and that, that all sounds right to me. I mean, it's, it, it's, it's a really nice myth. It's a great story. I think there's really no way to tell for sure, but you know, just in my head, the idea that he felt like he had drove a lot of value and wasn't sufficiently compensated. I mean, definitely sounds reasonable. Um, chronologically, the Wagner card appears in the Piedmont 150 series, so, you know, it's something that could have taken place very early on where he realized pretty quickly that he was not going to be compensated and requested the cards get pulled. Yeah. So, again, whatever the, the truth is, we might never know. Uh, there's 35 PSA graded Honus Wagners as of today. How many are there at SGCJ? Do you know? I don't. But there's there's a pretty good number. I think the combined pop is somewhere in the 50s, 60s range. Okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's generally recognized that there's around that many, um, floating around. It's an easy card to spot. It's a little different than some of the other ones we'll talk about that are variations on other cards. And maybe they're a little easy, they're a little more difficult to identify. So some might more might be floating around. Honus Wagner is such an iconic card that's saved for these, these, uh, attic finds that you hear about once a year. Uh, usually they don't have a Wagner in them, but that, I think that's, where any more will show up, if at all. Um, so that's the Wagner. That's the one everyone knows about. Another, you know, another one of the big four is the Eddie Plank. One and thing, I'm gonna, Justin, to jump in. Yeah, uh, really, really cool, really cool resource on Honus Wagner. The website t206resource.com, in addition to being an awesome repository of checklists and all sorts of information, has a really, really cool gallery of images of all of the Wagners and Planks. So you can go through and they've actually numbered them. And then as sales have taken place, they've labeled which of their numbers has changed hands. And it's really cool to get to actually see all of them in one place, see which ones have been crossed over, how they looked raw versus graded. Uh, the gallery is awesome for looking. It, it is uh, pretty comprehensive for all of the Wagners. There are a couple that I know of that I don't think are in the gallery. But um, again, while we're all stuck at home not doing anything, it's a welcome activity to get lost in, I don't know, several tens of millions of Honus Wagners. Yeah. Millions of dollars <laughs> of Honus Wagners. Yeah, no, that's definitely a fun activity. I forgot about that repository. That's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great resource for folks. Please check that out. What's the range, Jay, of uh, recent prices on Wagners? I know there was the one, the kind of Frankenstein one that sold last year. And I'm trying to think, there. I think there was a very trimmed one that went for four or 500,000 late last year. So in the last, say, year-ish, year plus, there was that heavily restored one. It was an authentic. It looked, frankly, 
like shit to start with and then it went through a heavy aggressive and professional restoration and it came out looking like about a four um that sold in the 400 500,000 range i want to say about 420 and then also last year there was a sale of a psa2 which i believe sold for about 1.2 million and that was a really big jump from the last time a two had sold. I believe before that, the last two sold in the 600000 range, maybe six fifty. So in the, I want to say maybe two years between the sales of PSA 2s, uh, the price almost jumped. And this specific two is, again, if my memory is serving correct, I think a little bit generously graded. Yeah, so there's no signs that the, interest or prices on Honus Wagner are slowing down quite the opposite. Um, no, I think as more as, um, you know, more investment money and as some of the young people who were into the hobby when they were a kid, as their interest sort of matures and they get rich, it's the type of thing to, you know, reconnect with your childhood. And it's definitely something that has appealed to not only sports collectors, but also, you know, general rich people who collect art and other high-end items. Yeah. So the, the pool of interest in that is much broader than it might be for uh, a McGee era, which we'll talk about in a second or some of the other, uh, even the other three big four, actually. Um, so following the Wagner, I think maybe we look at Eddie Plank. I, I know this. <laughs> I know Jay. You, uh, you, you, this one's near and dear to you. Eddie Plank, Hall of Fame, Philadelphia A's pitcher, uh, Gettysburg Ed. Uh, yeah. So again, this is another short print, very rare card in the T two O six at less than a hundred known. Uh, again, we don't know exactly what the history of the scarcity is. Here's a couple of the rumors. Uh, one that he objected to the use on the cards on moral grounds related to tobacco. But again, if we look at kind of the way the cards were produced, they were produced with a variety of different backs over a several year period. So a lot yeah, of people- Eddie, Eddie Plank differentiates from Wagner exactly like you just said, Justin, because Eddie Plank is available with uh, both a sweet cap 150 and a sweet cap 350. So that indicates that the card was not just produced in one sitting, the card was produced, you know, several months to a year apart. And there are several of each. So it's sort of a little bit of a challenging theory to piece together how there are so few, but how they're also spread out over a couple different back prints. Yeah. And the one kind of prevailing theory at the moment is that, or that's been around for decades, a lot of people still adhere to, is that there, there was a problem with the printing plate. And a lot of the, the planks that were printed were either massively miscut uh, or otherwise unacceptable were destroyed and only a few came out that were acceptable looking. Um, again, we don't, they were produced over a long period of time. So it would be a little odd that they kept using the same broken plate for that long. Um, and then another interesting new theory that was proposed by Tom Slowey on the great website, that T206life.com that's run by our friend Luke Lyon is that because Eddie Plank was born and raised in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, soon after the Civil War, he would not have wanted to be associated with Southern tobacco companies that were had the backs on the T206 cards. Uh, some of the evidence that they point to to support that theory is that uh, the Plank card was printed in very limited numbers in the T206 set, but then was completely excluded from subsequent sense, subsequent sets that the American Tobacco Company made, including the T205 Gold Borders, T206 
2207 brown borders, double folds, triple folds, turkey red cabinets, and some other sets. He wasn't in any of those, but he was used in lots of other tobacco issues by northern companies during the same time. Um, so again, that's a really interesting theory. The fact that the cards were produced in both the 150 and the 350 series, again, uh, if he objected to it, I would imagine they would pulled that from circulation like they did the Wagner. I don't know what you think about that, Jay. Yeah, I think that that's right. I also think that the 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 production across multiple years sort of debunks the broken plate theory just because of the way the the cards were produced. So if if we say for a second accept that the 150 series printing plate was broken or deformed or something and that's the reason that there are very few when they then printed a a different back it doesn't seem to make sense that they would have continued to use the same plate but also right. it doesn't seem to make right. sense that they would have replaced it with an entirely new plate because then we would expect that the population for the 350 back would be much higher so it just i don't know that that rationale while i think makes sense printing operationally i don't think is borne out by the population reports again all of what we're talking about here is really just speculation there's no reason any of us are more qualified than anybody else to throw darts at any of these theories but they're all super interesting yeah and you know obviously we have our own ideas about some of this stuff but a lot of the information we talk about on here is really being aggravated from a lot of different sources a lot of different experts who've been doing this for way longer than we have people who are reimagining re-looking at these old problems and trying to solve them now um, so we're really, you know, we're collecting information and input and expertise from a wide range of sources to try to get at what seems most pr probable. Um, but in some cases, again, we'll never know. Now, again, we're looking at the big four right now. Honus Wagner and Eddie Plank are, I would argue, are the most desirable for a lot of reasons, but they were both amazing players. They're both Hall of Famers. When we start to look at the other two of the big four, uh, uh, Sherry uh, McGee was great in his own right, but he was not a Hall of Famer. So just moving on to him. Uh, so the third card is the Sherry McGee error. Great Phillies player, 16-year career, uh, batted 291, over 1,100 RBIs, led the NL in RBIs and home runs several times during his career. Great player, interestingly, in 1911, punched out an umpire and was suspended <laughs> for the rest of the season. Was he really? Um, That's awesome. Yeah, so very colorful, uh, interesting guy. Happens to be that when they first printed his card, they spelled his name wrong. Uh, they spelled his last name with an I-E instead of an E-E -E at the end. Uh, so if you look at the printing of that card, the error is only on the Piedmont 150 back, indicating that it was caught early on as a typographical error and then corrected. If you look at the corrected version, uh, it comes in uh, EPDG, Brown Hindu, Piedmont 150 and 350, Sovereign 150, and Sweet Cap 150 and 350 backs. And there's 455 of those graded by PSA alone. Um, if you look at the, the error, there's 135 PSA graded, and there's about 100 to 200 total are believed to be in existence. So this is a much more clear-cut case of a typographical error in a caption in someone's name was fixed early on, corrected, and then continued being printed on a widespread scale with different backs on it. This card, I think, also, the ra this rationale holds 
water. It just makes sense. Where they had an error, they fixed it. And then after they fixed it, the print production it, it aligns with the other cards that were made from that year. So even though a Maggie portrait with the EE, the, the corrected version, it is still a very desirable card. It fits with the other type of short printed cards that are similar to it. Yeah, there's just less mystery about it, which I guess, you know, in terms of history and collecting is a good thing. It's nice to have clarity uh, on what makes a card rare and less surprises on how many else might, how many more might be out there. If you know, oh, this was an error that was corrected for this reason, and here's the corrected version. Uh, same thing goes for the Joe Doyle error, um, the last of the big four. This is slow dojo, slow dojo, slow Joe Doyle. Uh, he played for the New York Highlanders. Um, totally unremarkable player, if not for his T206 error card. Um, basically, the theory behind this card is that if you've seen this card, it's uh, would you call it a portrait? It's kind of a hands at chest. Nah, he's pitching. He's pitching. He's a, he's pitching. It's kind of it's almost a similar pose to the pitching Walter Johnson card, right? I'm thinking of the I'm thinking of them correctly. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Slow Joe Doyle, not an interesting player, but basically, whoever made the card thought mistakenly thought that Larry Doyle of the New York Giants and the National League was who was depicted, not Joe Doyle of the New York Highlanders in the American League. So in the first set of the cards, in the first printing of the cards on Joe Doyle's card, it had New York National in the caption. And when the error was caught, apparently caught very quickly, they just removed National off the card. So most times when you see this Joe Doyle card, it just says New York underneath his name, and they never put American after it. Uh, in terms of scarcity, there's nine PSA slabbed versions of the error. Uh, there's 418 versions graded of the, of the corrected version. So again, this is another, like the Maggie card, typographical error, caught early on, fixed early on, and then went on to print as normal. But the Doyle card also is, the, even the corrected one is scarce for other reasons. Is that right, Jay? It is, and we're gonna, we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, a brief word on the Joe Doyle scarcity. Uh, while all four of these cards are, you know, extremely scarce, the Joe Doyle is on an entirely different level. I mean, this is a card where we're talking, there are under 20 of them, probably even less than that. Um, I've been following T206s pretty closely for going on about three years now. I have never seen one for sale. I've never seen one change hands. The last couple have sold in the mid-six figures. I mean, this is really sort of... If you say cost is no object, then I think you find the other three. This one's really the barrier to finishing a full 524. On the Net 54 monster post, there is only one person who has publicly shared that they finished the 524. So really the Joe Doyle is sort of, that's the wild card. It is an inordinate amount of money to spend on sort of a throwaway player. Uh, <laughs> Sherry, Sherry Maggie is going to be the cheapest of the four you can get yourself a reasonable one for four or five thousand bucks, an authentic or a grade one. You know, certainly under ten thousand dollars will get you a nice example. So while that is a quite a bit of money, it is on a different cost profile than the other four card, the other three cards we've been talking about. Uh, Eddie Plank has also seen a pretty sharp rise in the last couple of years. The last several low grade ones have sold in the forty to fifty thousand dollar range. Um, 
There was actually a very recent one in SGC one. I think it was an SGC one might've been SGC authentic and it sold in the mid thirties. It was creased up pretty badly. So, you know, to get any sort of a full card Eddie plank is going to run you, let's say at least 30 and probably at least $40,000. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of pricing on the big four, just to recap, you're looking at Maggie at the bottom, then plank, then well Doyle. Wagner or Doyle Doyle and then Wagner. Wagner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then after so you have those are the big four. Those are the ones virtually no one puts in their set. That's why when we're talking about these sets, we're usually talking about a five hundred twenty card set, which is everything except Wagner, Plank, Maggie, and Doyle. Uh, right below those two in terms of uh, intrigue and scarcity are the Ray Demet and Bill O'Hara New York to St. Louis. Uh, cards now again these are pretty unremarkable players otherwise Ray Demet was traded by the New York Highlanders the American League team in New York to the St. Louis Browns in December of 1909 so after the first uh, run of cards was printed Bill O'Hara played outfield for the New York Giants the National League team in 09 and he was traded to the Cardinals uh, in St. Louis for the 1910 season and so both of them were in New York when the T206 set was was started and was first printed. Uh, and after the trades were made in the end of the 1909 season, only Polar Bear changed the name of the teams on the jerseys and the captions of these two cards and distributed them out of the Factory Six in Ohio. Um, so these were cards that, again, players changed teams, but the other distributors, so all the other companies that were producing these cards, did not go to so. Carolina Brights, EPDG, Piedmont Sovereign, all of them. No one else went to the trouble of, of correcting the, the caption and the jersey on the card. Um, so what makes these cards, and this is, this is another issue we'll get to it another time, but these two cards as polar bear backs were not produced with any more scarcity than other polar bear backs. What makes these cards rare is that they were only produced with polar bear backs and no other backs at all. So I think Scott Reader estimates because of that, that these are about 10 times more difficult than a typical T206 uh, with a polar bear and that you'd find with a you know, polar Just bear. Just on the basis back. that you're not going to find a Piedmont with them, that makes them more scarce. Um, Population-wise, you're looking at somewhere in the 300 to 400 range, which is, let's call it very scarce, but something you could go find if you wanted one. You might have to go look at some ugly eBay buy it nows, but if you spent a couple months looking around, you can find a decent deal on on Demet and O'Hara. It really just gets to a dollars and cents question for people. Do you really want to spend eight hundred or a thousand bucks, which is basically your entry cost, to buy a variation card of a no name player? Um, and when you yeah, <laughs> plenty you, of yeah. people are going to say no, thank you. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at populations, you know, you're both basically just short of 200 on the Demet and O'Hara St. Louis variations on each of those in terms of PSA populations. And you're bet right over 400 uh, for the New York versions of those cards. So significantly more scarce uh, when you're looking at the St. Louis versus the New York uh, versions of the card. Uh, again, there's some more theories about why. Polar Bear is the only back that the cards were printed in. There's been discussions about some regional bias in some of the production 
um, patterns we've seen on these cards. So we do know for a fact that the corrected St. The O'Hara and Demet St. Louis cards. So the scarce variation that was only printed with polar bear back was shipped exclusively from uh, a factory in Ohio, which was the only distributor of polar bear at the time. Since these were players who were playing for St. Louis and other, you know, in the mid, also in the, in the Midwest, it could stand to reason that the reason that they were only put on polar bear backs is because it was only of interest to people in the Midwest who followed St. Louis. Those are the only people who might care that they were traded and maybe it would help uh, people, you know, buy tobacco to look for those extra cards for the St. Louis players. Um, but again, we don't know exactly why. We know that there was a change in team. That makes sense. They changed the caption. But the reason why only Polar Bear made it is still up for debate. You got anything else to add there, Jay? No, good summary. They're, they're cool cards. I mean, I remember when I was building the set when I was a kid, I used to sort of lust after them. But then as, I, as I've come back to the set, I bought both pretty early on and then have really not spent too much time thinking about them. I mean, it's just sort of one of those check marks that you want to get to get to your 520, but it's probably not one you're going to feel especially great about. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's funny you say that about looking when you first started collecting, and I started collecting, you know, a long time ago, decades ago, and I remember seeing these in books. So they've always been iconic to me. These were, two, you know, two of the six scarcest cards available in the set, and I still, you know, so few people still have them. Even people who are pretty serious about collecting a lot of them don't even have it. Um, so it's still exciting it's to just, see them. It's just really hard to override a $1,000 common. Yes, yes, yes. It it's really only for people who are building the set or want just the, the rarities. Um, it's going to be the last thing most people think about, though, to get. Um, if you're building the 520, the two, those two might be the last two cards you get reluctantly for some people i i got them early on because i was excited to get them and i found a couple of good deals but um like jay said they are hard to find i mean i think it's very hard to find either one even wrecked for under a thousand dollars yes yeah it's it's not it's not a card you're really going to find an especially good deal just because there are always a lot of people who are on the prowl looking for a decent one to fill a set and check the box yeah um all right so we went over the big four we went over O'Hara and Demet, which are the next two scarcest. And okay, so Jay, from here, where do we want to go? Let's start to look at the next tier of short prints. But before we jump into them, let's just uh, consider a couple of the cards that we've talked about so far. So in the case of Maggie, Doyle, Demet, and O'Hara, when those cards were printed one way and then either corrected or traded and then printed a second way, all of those cards, both the before and the after shots, are actually pretty tough. And that really could just be that, you know, the same rough number of cards were made for each, you know, with with some adjustments. But some are split with this type and some are split with this type. So as a result, both cards are kind of tough. And I'm not I'm using that just as a theme because I think that will start to guide some of our discussion about short prints as well, where there is the short print that is known and has been in all the books as this is the tougher card. However, if that card also comes with another team variation, the other team variation is actually also pretty noteworthy as a difficult card, even if it doesn't get the same type of love financially. So let's jump into the, the group of short prints. Um, the first group of short prints are all team variations, and there are 
varying levels of scarcity even among these sort of alike cards. So out of the group of short prints, in my opinion, the two best ones are Elberfeld Washington Portrait and Lundgren Chicago. Those are, I think, the two toughest and also the two most expensive. So Elberfeld is Kid Elberfeld. The Washington Portrait is the extremely difficult short print. It's going to run you 250 bucks for a low-grade copy. But then also associated, the Kid Elberfeld New York Portrait is actually also a really difficult card as to whether... You know, some of the Elberfeld portraits from the New York printing, which is printed mostly with Piedmont 150, got shuffled to the population of the Elberfeld Washington portrait from Piedmont 350. That's just sort of the theme that I was tinkering around here with. Okay. After after those two top short prints, the next best one, in my opinion, is going to be Bill Dahlin or Dalen, the Brooklyn variation. He was actually a pretty good player. There's a recent push to get him elected into the Hall of Fame many, many, many years later. But if you go and take a look at his stats, he is a fringe Hall of Famer, a very good player, and also has two really attractive portrait cards. But between the two, the Dahlin Brooklyn is the better of the two short prints. The last couple short prints that I do think are important to group together in this sort of tough short print category are, I'm going to say, a little bit easier and as such are much cheaper. I think if you really just let the market tell us what is scarce and what is in demand, that price dictation really drives the um, scarcity of the cards, and there, there's there's pretty strong correlation there. So the last couple variations that are difficult, we have George Brown Washington, the Joe Doyle New York, the corrected one. The Sherry Maggie, also corrected one. Red Kleinow Boston. And Frank Smith Chicago and Boston. Those cards are all going to run you plus or minus 100 bucks for a low-grade copy, which, you know, in comparison to the Elberfeld Washington, that's a pretty big price delta. But these are sort of the traditional cards that get grouped as the short print. And these are all, are these all 150s? They're not. They're actually mostly 350s. Or, as I'm looking down the list, they're all 350s. Uh, Lundgren is a 150, and Maggie is a 150-350. But most of them are from the 350 series. Do you want to tell people a little bit what the difference is there between all those, why that matters? Yeah, so as we're trying to track sort of which cards are which and which got created or which got corrected from one to the other, cards that are printed with Piedmont 150 subjects on the back, as an example, those were from the first printing in 1909, and um, that was the first rendition of the set. There were only 150 cards, hence the 150 subjects, and it includes includes most of the good Hall of Fame portraits and a lot of the other common portraits portraits very very colorful cards um but you don't see any of say the tent cards that have you know some of the 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 stadiums in the background the cards from the piedmont 350 subjects are from a 1910 printing and piedmont 350 includes all of the minor leaguers also overlaps with all of the southern leaguers and quite a few more. So at the completion of the printing of that, there were slightly more than 350 cards in the set combined. And then the 
cards that are printed with Piedmont 460 or Piedmont 350 460. Those were from the last printing in 1911. And because the cards were printed in sort of, let's call them three different yearly groupings, you can start to track which of these tougher short prints are only available in one year versus another year. Most cards were produced across a two-year window, but no cards were produced across a three-year window. But by comparison, cards that were produced only in a one-year window are generally tougher. Yeah. And that's, know, that's a little bit convoluted to sort of verbalize without sort of a visualization. But if you take a look at the population reports and you can see that for some of these cards for Kid Elberfeld, uh, Washington Portrait, for instance, it's only available in Piedmont 350. It also comes with a sweet cap. It also comes with an old mill. It doesn't have a lot of back diversity. It doesn't come from a different year, and therefore the populations are much lower. Uh, and I actually like a lot of these cards. I love the Elberfeld Washington. Uh, I like. I think it's a great image. I love the red back. The red backgrounds. He's got bright blue eyes. Um, Dolan's a great looking card. Uh, and also, I mean, the scarcity on some of these. I mean, Dolan's a card that people have been hoarding. Right. There's a couple there's people a lot, out there. Lot, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of collector interest in Dolan, whether because they think he's one day going to get elected to the Hall of Fame and the cards are going to go up or whether people just think it's an attractive looking card, which it for sure is. Um, it's a lot of interest. Yeah. Yeah. And for the, you know, the Doyle and the Maggie, again, short prints, uh, the fact that there is the scarce version drives a lot of interest in the the corrected version because you, you know, basically, I mean, you're getting the same card minus the typographical error. So you can still have that image and appreciate that image without having the five or six figure uh, price tag on it. I think there's a couple other small groupings of short prints we can briefly touch on. Yeah. So as we've discussed the sort of top key short prints, I'm going to align a, a small grouping of what we'll call the corrected short prints. So that includes Elberfeld, New York, Lundgren, Kansas City, Dolan, Boston, and then there's this George Brown, Chicago, which actually is going to appear in my next two little groupings. But these are some of the corrected cards that are actually also quite tough. Red Kleinow, New York Catching is a very tough card. Frank Smith, White Cap is a very tough card. These corrected ones are not in the short print category, but they are very difficult cards. If you take a look at completed sales and you expect them to sell like a normal common, don't be surprised to see them selling for, you know, a 50 or 60% premium over a normal common because they are also difficult in-demand cards. Right. Next little grouping is what I'm going to call the Piedmont 150 only grouping. These were cards that were produced in the very early stages in 1909 and then for whatever reason did not get produced with the Piedmont 350 back that most of those cards were also printed with. So on all of these following cards, you will see them, you will see them with a Piedmont 150. They all have Sovereign 150s, and I believe they all also have Hindus. However, you will not see them with a Piedmont 150 or with a Sovereign 350. As a result, again, they're just a little bit tougher because they were only printed with this smaller subset of backs. So I'm going to read down the list. I'm going to read down the list to go through these cards. You have Red Ames, Hands at Chest, George Brown, Chicago, Al Birch, Batting, Mike Donlin, Fielding, which is him with the hands on the knees, Larry Doyle, Throwing, Patty Horizontal and Pelty Horizontal, Mike Powers, 
Ed Rulebach glove showing and Wildfire Schulte front view. Note that Schulte front view does have one Piedmont 350 card that is a pop one, potentially a scrap, but I think it still fits into this grouping. And then additionally, there are two Hall of Famers, two very tough Hall of Famers, Mordecai Brown Cubs and Johnny Evers Cubs. So those cards are what I would comprise the 150 only group. They're also very tough cards, especially tough cards defined with either the Sovereign or the Hindu back. And again, really, really attractive grouping of cards. These aren't portraits, but some really, really good in-action shots as to why these cards were produced in the 150 only series, but then not further. I believe Luke has a couple really good blogs on this at that t206life.com. Um, Additionally, Mike Powers passed away, so they didn't make any more cards of him. George Brown changed teams, so then they made a different card of him. And um, the other ones have other many of the other guys. I think all of them except for Patty have at least one other card in the set, a different pose, but the card this front was not produced with a different set of backs. Yeah, and looking, I'm just thinking now in terms of value, looking at some of the, the common players in that short print list. Uh, in my experience, I think you're looking on the low end at paying about 50% more than you would for a typical common. So if a co- if a beater common is going to cost you $20 uh, for a card like the Ruleback, you're going to pay $30. Is that you think that's a good rule of thumb, Jay, on those? I, I absolutely do, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and I'm trying to think if that holds true for the Hall of Famers also. Um, for the Evers um, and the I think Brown. Evers and Brown, there there is a, a little bit of a premium. Um, those are just sort of known as difficult Hall of Famers. They're difficult yeah, because yeah. they're only printed with Piedmont 150s. You can't find them with a 350. And also they follow, they parallel the commons in that if you want a Johnny Evers Cubs Sovereign, that's a really in-demand difficult card. It's just one of those that you don't see very often. Yeah, that's right. And it's very distinct looking versus the uh, its uh, Chicago variation. The yes. sky is different. So it almost looks like a completely different card, whereas some of these other variations, just the caption is different, or maybe the name on the jersey is different. This card, the name on the jersey is different. The sky is a different color. Um, so it is a really kind of special, distinct card, not just a corrected version or a traded version of some other player. Exactly so. And then, I know we've touched on a lot of short prints. The last couple that I want to briefly bring up are, let's call them market-influenced short prints. And on here, I'm going to list Doc Adkins and uh, John Titus. These are cards that aren't actually short prints. They're not actually difficult cards. However, they're just really, really in demand. Adkins because of the Baltimore connection, because he's just sort of one of those popular players. And then Titus is the only mustachioed fellow in the set. And there is also some question that both both of these cards have been hoarded by various people at one time or another. And I think that these cards also, while we're talking about random commons that sell more than they should, you know, more than they would as random commons, Adkins and Titus are worth mentioning. Agreed, agreed. And there's, you know, over the years, there's been hoarding of lots of different cards. There's active hoarding of lots of different cards. But the same has been said about the Joe Doyle, um, in part because people were hoping to hit 
hit the jackpot and in the course of just buying up all the Doyles, they thought they'd find some errors. Um, I don't yeah, think that's really... Actually, that, that reminds me of a rumor that I heard about Joe Doyle, and I'm not certain if it's true, but I think it's a fun rumor. Supposedly in the 1980s, I believe, someone was trying to counterfeit Joe Doyle national cards, and they bought a bunch of Joe Doyle regular New York cards and tried to add the word national, since that is the difference between a you know, a hundred dollar card and a hundred thousand dollar card. And ultimately when this, uh, this fraud was busted up by the authorities, the authorities came across a large number of Joe Doyle, New York cards that they then subsequently destroyed. So again, I don't know if that's the case, but there is, there is some rumor that Joe Doyle, the New York is especially difficult because if say a hundred or 200 were taken out of circulation as evidence or destroyed as evidence, that really would have, uh, you know, an economic impact on the supply and demand of the card many years later. Yeah. And I think I'm trying to think I've read that too. And I don't know if it's in Scott reader's book or maybe it's, I think maybe that was it in Scott reader's book, the, in the hundredth, what what is the title? Inside T206, Collector's Guide to the Classic Baseball Card Set. The Centennial Edition is the one I'm thinking of from 09. Yeah. I'm not uh, sure if it's in Scott's book or not, but it, I don't. it's definitely a rumor that I've heard around town and I think is worth mentioning as we're talking about all of the, let's say, wacky ways that some of these cards are difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think we've plugged it before, but if you haven't, uh, go online, Google Inside T206 by Scott Reader. It's on line as a PDF, uh, free, available, comprehensive uh, study and look at the origins and history and all the rarities we're talking about in the T206, real definitive, um, required reading, I would say, along with, since we're all home looking for things to do, uh, Tom and Ellen Zapala's uh, the T206, their players and their stories collection, the second edition book that came out, I think, last year. Uh, Amazing book, has the history and the little blurb on every single player included in T206 set and full-color photos of their cards. Great um, Just some great, yeah, amazing, beautiful-looking book, affordable, great practical resource also. Whenever I get a card, whenever my mail comes and I get cards, I always bust the book open just to look and see, okay, Ray Demet, what do I need to know about him? Was he remarkable as a player at all? The, he was not. Um, <laughs> but again, it's just a fun. It's a it's a fun way to uh, bring the cards to life a little more, learn a little bit more about what you're holding in your hand and the history of that. So again, those two resources by Scott Reader and the Zapalas are highly recommended. Um, and you'll learn more about uh, certainly more, way more than you think you ever needed to know about short prints in Scott Reader's book as well. I think the noteworthy yeah. part of Scott Reader's book is he really, he, his writing is very strong and it's sort of an academic look at the set. It's not written as just sort of a fun hobby thing. I mean, he, he, he really wrote a serious book explaining all of the, you know, who, what, where, when, why of how this set was built. And I think it's an absolutely vital resource. I'm also going to plug in a, other of Scott's writings. He has a very good white paper. It's about eight pages long called Revisiting T206 Back Multipliers. And it is sort of a refresh of some of the earlier writings on back multipliers. Uh, he did this, I don't know, maybe two, three years ago now. And it is a really good data look at how backs have grown in, in value and um, how that's taken place over time. And I think the numbers are pretty good too. 
So that's a look at the, per the request of our fellow collectors, that's a, uh, a thumbnail sketch of the short prints and the T206 set. Uh, as always, we're available on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website. If you have more questions, uh, themonsterpodcast.com is the website. Uh, hang in there. Uh, Jay, any parting words for folks? Stay safe. So- yeah, social, stay safe. So- social distance. Buy some cardboard. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Stay healthy. Stay safe, everyone. We'll look forward to talking to you soon. See ya. Thank you for listening to the Monster Podcast. Don't forget to check us out online at themonsterpodcast.com and on social media at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. See you next time.